WWF superstars competing the Royal Rumble for the undisputed WWF Championship, including Jake the Snake Roberts, the Barbarian, the model Rick Martel, the Berserker, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Nasty Boy Sags, Repo Man, Sergeant Slaughter, alleged real-world champion Ric Flair, Hercules, Colonel Mustafa, the Macho Man Randy Savage, Skinner, the British Bulldog Baby Boy Smith, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, Haku, Shawn Michaels, the Warlord, El Matador, Sid Justice, IRS, Nikolai Volkov, the Texas Tornado, Virgil, the Undertaker, the Big Boss Man, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Superfly Snooker, and the Immortal Hulk Hogan. It's time to rumble! It's time for the Royal Rumble! Hello, it's Richard Carey here, and if you've been following my blog, richonwrestling.wordpress.com, you might know about my series where I have been recapping various different pay-per-views in, in WWE past. Uh, the minute I'm going through Royal Rumble and Survivor Series of past, and we've reached a quite an interesting point in that timeline, which is Royal Rumble 1992. So I thought for something special, I would do actually a podcast version of my review of Royal Rumble 92. So the show is, is quite well known, really, because of the Royal Rumble match where Ric Flair wins the world title. Spoiler alert. It has quite a place in people's hearts. A lot of people consider this to be one of the best Rumbles in history, if not the best. So the card starts out with Vince McMahon just running through the entrance, as he usually does in his style at the time, where you know they go through all, all the people in the Rumble. It's really nice to kind of see that. So the first match is a new foundation versus Orient Express. The new foundation is Owen Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart, and they're all in this, all in these like parachute pants. They look like they're wearing their PJs. It's kind of like the the checkered flag sort of style. You've probably seen it with High Energy as well with um, with Coco Beware and Owen Hart when they form a tag team. So Owen did some springboard action and a Hurricane Rana on Kato. Tanaka was kind of dressed in sort of a black t-shirt and, and trousers, like he forgot his kit and that's all they could bring him instead of his normal Orient Express lineup. There was an Alabama slam into an elbow drop by the New Foundation for a two count. Owen did the Brian corner escape, which I've seen quite a few people actually do, and I always thought that was a sort of a Daniel Bryan thing, but I've seen Shawn Michaels do it as well. Owen does a crossbody pin for two count uh, Fiji uses the cane on Owen and Gorilla and Bobby are mostly talking about the Rumble match itself and Bobby says Flair should have number 31 that would be fair to Flair uh, which is quite funny considering this year's Royal Rumble in 2019 where there was sort of a number 31 in both accounts in that there was an extra uh, entrant that wasn't supposed to be there who took who supposedly took the place of someone who didn't enter and I have to say, I think the commentary tonight is very, very good. And we'll talk about it more as we go through. <laughs> there's a bit, there's a, quite a good quip, actually, where Gorilla talks about the referee, says, at least he's consistent. And Heenan goes, yeah, he gets everything wrong. 
So there's a Tanaka headbutt to the groin on Owen, a tag to Anvil, but the ref doesn't see it. So Owen is clocked in the corner with the cane. They get a two count with a foot on the rope. Owen does a belly to belly on Tanaka for a two count, split up by Kato. Uh, it seems like Owen has some chances to make the hot tag tonight, Hart, but he doesn't take them. I don't understand why he doesn't take them. Owen hits a double drop kick to the Orient Express and makes the hot tag and a slingshot by Anvil to both of them. He's described as a bull in the china shot by Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, the new foundation finished things off with a rocket launcher for the free count. It was a good finish. Uh, there's a long build to the hot tag, uh, but I like the sort of mix between Owen and Anvil's team because you've got that dynamic of the high-flying Owen who was a lot more high-flying in his early days and the power of Anvil who can come in and sort of do damage. It's a bit S.H.I.E.L.D.-esque with, I guess, the main one I think of is like Rollins and Reigns when they were a team. We had Rollins doing all the sort of fancy stuff and the Reigns coming in and sort of clearing house at the end of it. So it has that, that sort of nice dynamic to it. So I gave this one a 5.5 out of 10. It could have been a worse opener. So then Lord Alfred Hayes appeared. Uh, this was the thing, I think, on this particular Royal Rumble, I was watching it on the network. And the WWE Network, it has like certain pay-per-views that have Coliseum video exclusives. And this was one of them they decided to have the exclusives on it but some of them you don't get that and also there's so much inconsistency with the use of wwf or wwe or wwe they like to have it so lord al appears and there's a clip of the mountie defeating brett for the ic title uh, which i think this was was actually on the main show so that happened because brett had a fever apparently which uh, made it very difficult for him to defend then sean mooney was joined by the mountie he had a cattle prod with him. I don't know if he's going after Goldberg or not. And Jimmy Hart was with him as well. Mountie asked for the win-loss record of Piper. Maybe he could look it up on Cage Match or something. Mean Gene was joined by Roddy Piper, and Piper called the Mountie one of the original village people. He suggested Mountie has been having wet dreams. Um, his attempts at humour always come off more antagonistic than funny, I find, with Piper. Like, I found that, obviously, with wrestlemania 6 and the whole half blackface you know not necessarily comedy but definitely offensive so our second match is the mountie versus roddy piper for the intercontinental championship the mountie doesn't have his really sweet theme song which is very much a disappointment but piper went straight for the mountie uh, mountie used jimmy hart as a human shield at times a big piper bulldog on commentary they play up piper's potential to win two titles tonight so he could win the icy title but he was also in the rumble so he could end up winning both so that was sort of teased as a potential outcome but we'll see if it came to fruition a little bit later uh, piper manages to drop kick air and heenan quips who do you think he was drop kicking casper the ghost he's got a lot of good quips on tonight right, as uh, bobby heenan piper hit sunset fit for two mounty skin the cat a nice little uh, preview. There's a lot of, I think there's quite a lot of preview stuff from the Rumble this year where they were, they were basically teasing to the Rumble match by having these over-the-top rope spots, trying to show, I guess, how easy or how difficult it would be to eliminate somebody. Anyway, Piper locked in the sleeper and Mountie's hand dropped three times, so Piper is a new Intercontinental Champion. A very short reign for Mountie. Got to feel a bit sorry for him. He had three days with the title. And Piper used the cattle prod on Mountie after the match and it made a very silly sound effect, like someone just pressed a button at the right time. 
but it's a pretty short and decent enough match and Jimmy Hart made his presence felt at ringside. I gave this one a 7 on 10, as good as a as Alan Partridge's girlfriend's full English breakfast. If, if you know what's coming up at WrestleMania 8, it's the big Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart match, so they had to get there somewhere, somehow, without, you know, spoiling the match at the Rumble. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes for a Coliseum Home exclusive with Hulk Hogan. Hogan was in a very good mood and very calm promo, very, um, not, not Hogan style usually. It's usually very shouty and lots of energy there, but it was a very calm promo from Mr. Hogan. He said Al knows a lot about tea, which I guess is very stereotypical. If you come from England, you have to know loads about tea. It's the law. A mean Gene was with the Bushwhackers and Jameson. Luke looked like he'd never been as excited in his whole life. The Bushwhackers talk about like their millions and millions of fans. I'm just wondering whether The Rock got inspiration from the Bushwhackers. It seems like a strange place to take inspiration from. Jameson is kind of like this, I, I guess, this stereotypical Jew character. I hope not being anti-Semitic there, but not a very good character at all. And I'll talk a bit more about my dislike for Jameson later. In the ring, uh, Genius cut a promo on Jameson before the match as we had match three, the Bushwhackers versus the Beverly Brothers, a bit of a follow-up from the Survivor Series 91 match where they were on opposing sides. So Bushwhackers come up and lick kids on the head and Gorilla Monsoon says that child's going to remember that for the rest of his life, hopefully not in therapy. The Bushwhackers hot dog and grandstand for a bit and uh, Butch seems to start a Cersei chant. I wonder if he's a big Game of Thrones fan. Luke does some biting and the Bushwhackers clean the ring and taunt. Jameson blows his nose on a sock because apparently he doesn't have a handkerchief or any tissues or anything like that. The Bushwhackers do this trip up move where they basically push, they basically uh, go down, one of them goes down all fours and the other one pushes the guy over. It's not very good. The Bushwhackers clear the ring again. I'm not really liking this match at all. There's like nothing happening for way too long. The Beverly's constantly escape the ring. It's kind of, I call it almost anti-wrestling. Like it's not actually, you know, they're almost avoiding trying to wrestle. So Bobby says Jameson needs to be put to sleep. I don't know if I'd go that far. A cocky pin was reversed into a schoolboy by Luke for two. Genius slapped Jameson and a hot tag to Butch. It was an improv battering ram. Uh, and you noticed in this match that the tag teams were coming, the tag partners were coming in all the time to stop the pinfall, which I didn't know was actually legal. I thought it was, only, I thought it was sort of an unwritten rule. You can only do that twice, but apparently not. So there's a double axe handle from the top, which got the Beverly Brothers the win. This was absolutely fucking rubbish. It was a non-match. Um, the Bushwhackers had to get the heat back after the bell by beating up the genius and allowing Jameson to kick him. Jameson has to be the one of the worst characters in wrestling history. It just feels like he's offending basically everyone. There's, there's way too much emphasis on him, although you never see him like before or afterwards at pay-per-views. So I gave this a 1 out of 10 because there are probably worse matches than this, but there's not many worse matches than this. Ming Jin was joined by the Legion of Doom. Well, said Hawk. I think they said something about your tongues will be hanging out like dead deers. I don't know if that happens automatically with deers or whether that's something you have to put in place to put their tongue out. So our third match was the Legion of Doom LOD versus Natural Disasters. Pretty big tag team title match this is. There was no proper ring bell on this show, so I'm not sure what happened there. A flying clothesline by Hawk got Typhoon off his feet for a two. 
Earthquake tried for a drop kick but missed. Impressive though for trying for John Tenter, who I think is a really good wrestler. And actually, they missed a trick by not using Tenter more either with the Yokozuna stuff in 93 or with Hogan earlier than that. Animal tried for a body slam, but it failed, and Earthquake got us two. Avalanche by Typhoon, a bear hug by Typhoon, a hawk elbow, and Earthquake sort of had a funny timber fall where he sort of wobbling and wobbling and then fell down. Animal made the hot tag, a massive shoulder tackle, an animal double clothesline. Natural disasters were really selling for LOD. Typhoon ended up winning by countout as they celebrated with the belts, although they hadn't won them because it was countout and they've. They felt this was a massive travesty, which is something that plays into a little bit what happens at, at SummerSlam 1993. But this time it's the heels being outraged that they didn't win the titles by countout instead of, you know, the baby face who should know better celebrating like mad that they won a, a match by countout for the title, which means they don't win the title. It's the usual golden era style of the finish ruined it match, but it was pretty good stuff this really, you know, a lot of count out finishes in the in the golden era. No one really wants to get pinned or, or they want to keep people strong for the next event. Earthquake is great with his agility and selling. I gave this a 6.5 out of 10. Pretty happy with what I saw, but yeah, I would have liked that clean finish to bring it up to maybe a 7 or 7.5. So, Sean Mooney was with Jimmy Hart and the Natural Disasters, who were really, really annoyed, like I said before. And they don't understand the rules of the title change because um, they didn't win the belts on a countout. Apparently, they were going to get a lawyer on the case who would probably just tell them they don't have a case at all because that's how the rules are. Uh, mean Gene was with a happy Roddy Piper, who had just won the IC title. He said something about um, you're, they're going to fall down like President Bush. So I'm guessing there was some sort of assassination attempt around this point in time. Not sure if that's the most um, tasteful current reference that they should be bringing up. But hey it's Roddy Piper. He doesn't give a shit. Sean Mooney was with Sean Michaels, uh, which is right off the Rockers split, which happened a couple of months earlier than that. I think it was actually in the same month. There was a recap of the barbershop window where Sean threw Marty Ginetti into the window, and the mullet on Michaels was top-notch. So we got another um, exclusive with Lord Alfred as he spoke to Mr. Flair, as he referred to them as. So Flair revealed on this that he drew number three, and he also said that's the bottom line. So Flair 316 says, Woo! Probably. So this is quite interesting because in the actual rumble itself, there's a big sort of storyline thing where Heenan doesn't know what number Flair had before the match. So really, I'm not sure why they include this as an exclusive. And on the actual paper, it makes sense not to include it because then people are surprised and Heenan's outraged when he comes out at number three. Then Me Gene introduced a rumble promo compilation. Savage wants to get his hands on Jake the Snake. Sid barely opens his mouth. He sort of grits his teeth uh, like a ventriloquist or something. The Repo Man calls it the World Wrestling title rather than the WWF title. Bulldog talks about Royal Albert Hall Battle Royal, which I guess was an event quite uh, round this point. Jake quotes the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. Ric Flair talks about the mirror, mirror on the wall. The Undertaker is basically telling he's going to kill his opponents. Hogan was sort of deflating as time went on after sort of got, I guess he was going off the roids and he, he was getting smaller and smaller and he had a cheap shot at Jack Tunney. 
I thought these were great, and they kind of reminded me of WCW NWO Thunder, which is not a great game for the PS1, but it's very well known for its rants, uh, which you get when you go on the on the character select screen or the you know wrestler select screen. You can do all these rants, and they're well like that. And I would really like to see that almost turned into a. a it'd be quite cool to have that sort of style for for an, if there was ever an early '90s wrestling game. They should they should definitely do that. So we're on to the Royal Rumble match and Howard Finkel explained the rules including the addition of the championship for this year. Jack Tunney got booed as he came out to the ring. He's basically a heel authority figure in 1992. He was pretty rubbish at promos as well but uh, he introduced the fact that this was for the title. He stayed in the ring which made me think, is he in the match? Is Tunney, put, is Tunney exercising his own authority to put himself in the match? If so, why did he put himself at number one? Well, he didn't actually, because uh, the British Bulldog was number one, and he was billed from Leeds, which I think he's actually from Wigan, but he's never billed from Wigan. He's either billed from Manchester or Leeds. And Ted DiBiase was number two with Sherry. Again, he hasn't uh, been able to buy off someone's better number. Uh, Ted celebrated as he thought he eliminated the Bulldog, but Bulldog got back in and clotheslined him out. It was Flair at number three, and he didn't went nuts. He hated it. He was absolutely livid. And Heenan said he couldn't be objective. <laughs> gorilla asked whenever, when he would ever been objective. Bulldog did a gorilla press on Ric Flair, but decided not to throw him out of the ring, which is a bit stupid. Bulldog were a clothesline, and, and Flair begged off as Sags entered at number four. Flair chopped on Bulldog, and Sags helped him out. A Bulldog double clothesline. He threw Sags over the rope, but he survived. But Sags decided to taunt on the apron instead of getting back in the ring so bulldog dropped him out drop kicked him out for the elimination this isn't fair to flair was one of heenan's catchphrases for the night and he said it right here haku was number five and haku and flair seemed to team up but haku actually turned on flair and flair decided to leave the ring under the bottom rope bulldog hit a pile driver on haku and flair took advantage haku got eliminated as a backdrop by bulldog and number six was Shawn michaels you get a, a Ric Flair Shawn Michaels confrontation in 1992, and I don't know, I don't actually think that Flair Michaels had a match in his initial run in the company from 91 to 93. I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, let me know. It's quite interesting, obviously, considering what happens at WrestleMania 24, 16 years later than that. Shawn actually hit Flair with sweet cheer music, although it wasn't called that at the time. HBK got crushed on the ropes as he usually does and number seven was Tito Santana. Flair held on to the turnbuckle for dear life to not get eliminated. He hit a low blow to the British Bulldog. Tito did a flying forearm on Ric Flair and number eight was the Barbarian. He did says about Barbarian, when I managed him he barely liked me. Sean was on the second rope for ages and eventually gave up on his whatever he was going to do. And number nine was the Texas Tornado, a punch by Tornado and an amazing flare flop, uh, which was brilliant. Uh, number 10 was a Repo Man. It was, it was kind of like stealth operative Repo Man trying to sneak into the ring. A crossbody by Tito and he went for a pin, although that's not going to work. I loved Bobby Heenan just being absolutely exasperated any time it looked like Ric Flair would actually get eliminated from the match. Uh, number 11 was Greg the Hammer Valentine. Valentine and Flair traded chops. And number 12 was Volkov, Nikolai Volkov. It certainly got to a calm point in the Rumble. Valentine locked in the figure for his own, Ric Flair's own move on Ric Flair. 
Volkov was backdropped out by Reaper Man. And number 13 was a big boss man. Uh, the Reaper Man dumped out Greg Valentine. Sean did a Dolph Ziggler and hug on a lot of the times. Boss Man eliminated Repo Man. Flair lifted Bulldog over the top rope. Flair eliminated Tornado and hid in the corner. Tito and Sean took each other out. And number 19 was Hercules, who looked in very bad shape at this point. Boss Man eliminated Hercules. Flair thought Boss Man was gone, but he wasn't. Flair ducked and Boss Man went out the ring. And Flair completely cleared the ring by this point and did a Flair flop in an empty ring just because he was so exhausted. It was a great moment. Heenan suggests that Flair's won because the ring is now empty, but no, that's not the case. There's still 16 more entrants. Number 15 is Roddy Piper, who got a huge pop. Piper went mental on Flair. Uh, Flair went under the ropes and a brawl uh, went out at ringside. An aeroplane spin and a sleeper by Piper. And number 16 was Jake Roberts. Jake broke up the sleeper and Flair was sort of KO'd for a little while. Jake turned on Flair with a short clothesline. Piper broke up the Jake DDT. And uh, Heenan was, as soon as he did this, Heenan was really positive about about uh, Piper saying it's a kill, not a skirt. And then immediately after, Piper attacked Flair. And then he's like, oh, it's a skirt. <laughs> but Heenan is so amazing in this match. Let's say the, the gorilla Heenan commentary on this night is probably the best it ever is. So Ric Flair locked the figure four in on Jake. Number 17 was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Big USA chance for Hacksaw. Piper Flair trade blows. And number 18 was IRS. A double noggin knocker by Hacksaw and another Flair flop. And number 19 was Jimmy Snooker. Gorilla was still calling him the Phenom, which I guess The Undertaker because he beat Jimmy Snooker at WrestleMania. That made him the Phenom. Is that how it works? Multiple people try and fail to eliminate Ric Flair. And number 20 is, oh, it's The Undertaker, the man himself. Taker eliminates Snooker. He goes for Flair. Heenan keeps asking how long Flair's been in there for. Number 21 is the Macho Man. Jake escaped the ring before Macho could get to him. Jake attacks Macho when he's vulnerable and misses a short arm. The Savage comes back with a double axe handle and a knee to the bat, which eliminates Jake. So this is this is the one sort of criticism of this match, probably. The main sort of criticism is the fact that they basically ignore the rules. And I think they do it because Macho Man completely forgets where he is and what he's doing. Because Macho jumps over the top rope to do a dive to the outside on Jake, forgetting that it's an over-the-top elimination match. And actually, he's not supposed to be eliminated for like another 20 minutes. So he goes over, he eliminates him, but then they try and explain away the elimination that actually he wasn't eliminated by anybody, so it doesn't count. But obviously in, in future years, we know that, I think even past years, he might have established that actually you can eliminate yourself. So a definite botch there anyway. Number 22 was the Berserker. Uh, Heenan told Flair to weasel his way out. Quite funny because obviously Heenan's nickname is the weasel. <clears throat> Flair was suplexed back into the ring. Again, you know, there's a few obvious chances to eliminate him that weren't being taken. Number 23 was Virgil. Uh, number 24 was Colonel Mustafa. Number 25 was Rick Martel. And Colonel Mustafa got eliminated by Savage for number 26. Hulk Hogan coming in. Hulk went for Taker. And Flair got them with a noggin hooker. Hogan eliminated Taker with a clothesline. Then the Berserker. Then he ripped his shirt off. Hacksaw and Virgil eliminated each other. And at 27, Skinner came in for no reaction. Skinner worked over Hogan. 
Can you believe that is an actual sentence? And number 28 was Sergeant Slaughter. Skinner was uh, eliminated by Rick Martell, as we had number 29, Sid Justice. So Heenan asked that the, the cameraman keep a wide shot so he could see Flair at all times to make sure he hadn't been eliminated. And our last enter at number 30 was the Warlord. <laughs> it's funny. After Gorilla said it was the Warlord, Heenan said, I told you the Warlord. You know, he didn't definitely didn't tell him. Hogan and Flair went outside. Hogan uh, backdropped to Flair on the outside. Justice eliminated Slaughter. It was a big boot to Flair. Piper eliminated IRS by his tie. Warlord was tossed out by Hogan and Justice. Justice eliminated Piper and Martel. Sid Justice was being put over pretty well here. And you had a final four of Randy Savage, who obviously escaped elimination earlier, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, and Sid Justice. Savage was the first to go eliminated by Justice and a Flair knee. Hogan almost got rid of Flair, but Justice threw Hogan over the top rope, which led Justice and Hogan to have a bit of an argument about what happened. It's quite, it's quite a famous scene because you might have known that they, I think they edited the audio in a future package at WrestleMania 8 to make it look like Justice got booed when he eliminated Hogan, but he actually got quite loudly cheered. So as Justice and Hogan are arguing, Flair uses this to eliminate Justice out to win the match and Bobby Heenan is absolutely ecstatic. Yes, 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 yes. I told you, he says. Justice and Hogan continue to argue there's a bunch of officials coming to break them up. The crowd cheering for Sid. Uh, what a great rumble this was. It's completely build, built around Ric Flair and everything he does and all the times he might get eliminated and how and it's pretty amazing that they managed to build the whole rumble around one guy. There are a few subplots like the Savage-Jake confrontation, the Sid and Hogan stuff. Bobby Heenan was absolutely brilliant on commentary and without him, the importance of Flair's victory would have been completely missed. Like I say, there are some logic holes like uh, Savage's self-elimination and a few times the babyfaces could have quite easily got rid of Flair and didn't take it. So I've given this one a 9.5 out of 10, just avoiding it because of those little... I'm uh, being maybe a little bit picky, but I didn't like those obvious logic holes, so I had to dock it half a point for that. But yeah, fantastic rumble. Uh, sort of built upon the, the other rumbles with the sort of long entrant, but actually going to the point where they actually win it. And having it as a heel is really quite an interesting dynamic. You know, you, you have the guy who, who constantly tries to hang on by any nefarious means to win the match, as opposed to someone who has to, a baby face who has to go against the odds to survive. So really, really great stuff. <clears throat> Backstage, Jack Tunney presented the WWF title to Flair, and he does an absolutely iconic promo despite being in the ring for over an hour. He, he does the iconic promo with a tear in my eye. And Gene Oakland tells someone to put that cigarette out. So this is absolutely amazing to cut up one of the greatest promos ever, one of the most iconic promos ever after working an hour. It's insanely good by Flair. So overall, I'd say the undercard was sort of take it or leave it. But the Rumble is one of the goats, the goat race of all time, if not the goat. Uh, the commentary on this pay-per-view is pretty spectacular. Gorilla and Heenan's finest hour, really. Uh, Heenan rivals Flair as the MVP of the night, but I would probably just about give it to Flair. The rubber match itself is a must-watch. The title being on the line adds to the, you know, the stakes, and about was Im impressively built around the eventual winner. And you know, I think that was the problem with the early rumbles. Although some of them were good, there was no real reason why they should matter. So having the title in there really mattered, and obviously going forward, it would add the number one contender stipulation.
So that was the Royal Rumble 1992. Very enjoyable thing to watch. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, keep your eye on richonwrestling.wordpress.com for more blogs in the series as we go along. Thanks so much. I'm Richard Carey. Playing bye. All right, by virtue of winning the Royal Rumble, we have a brand new World Wrestling Federation champion as the press watches on. At this time, to present the title belt to the new champion, our president, the distinguished Jack Tunney. Congratulations, Ric Flair, on becoming the undisputed champion of the World Wrestling Federation. Let me just say, after view distorting the belt to proclaim me the real world champion, I'm going to tell you all with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one when you are the king of the WWF. You rule the world. Think about it like that, Mr. Perfect. Guys, we're going to Let's give a big one! Woo! I was never so impressed with anything I've ever seen in all my life. He went out there for over 60 minutes, never took a back step, took it to Hogan, took it to The Undertaker, took it to whoever got in that ring. That's why he is, hey, Bobby, call now, the real world's heavyweight champion. We're not the kind of guys that say, we told you so, but we told you so. <laughs> okay, very good. Rick Flair, you have made world, put that cigarette out. You have made World Wrestling Federation history here tonight. It's the greatest moment of my life. I want to jump, I want to party, but I got to tell you like this, for the Hulk Hogan's and the Macho Man's and the Pipers and the Sids, now it's Rick Flair and y'all pay homage to the man. Woo! <laughs> I love it! All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up. We hope you have enjoyed your Royal Rumble. For my broadcast colleagues, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Sean Mooney, Mean Gene Okerlund, saying so long from the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York.